this is not the new normal. There is no new normal. The reason we're shopping using e-commerce or the reason we're going through drive-thrus is because we're in a pandemic. We were we didn't evolve over several years to like, oh, we're going to shop e-commerce. We were forced into it in a one-month time period last March when we suddenly were in a pandemic, right? We were we had no choice. So you as a company, you as a restaurant, you are not the hero in the consumer's lives. They are the hero, the consumers are the hero of their own life. You are the guide. So the company, whether it's restaurant or retail, you are Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the consumer is Luke Skywalker. So what you're doing as a brand with your marketing is, yes, you're empathizing, but you're also telling them, here's how I'm going to make you the hero in your own life. Can you tell me a little bit about where this product came from? Is there a story behind it? Um, Did it come from a regional cuisine somewhere in the world that I could be educated? You could tell me more about that. So stories are behind the product are important to make me feel aligned with you, like I would increase loyalty and trust to you as a company or a brand. That makes me the hero in my own life. That's what marketers have to focus on. Is there Obi-Wan Kenobi? The consumer is Luke Skywalker. You have to be the guide to make them come through all of this successfully and be the hero to their family. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Two thousand twenty has had a great effect on all of us, on society, and certainly on businesses and farms and consumers. Well, the trends of what's been happening and what's going to happen in 2021 is what we're interested in today on Farm to Table Talk. And I'm happy to welcome back to the program Susie Badaracco, who's the president of Culinary Tides. Susie, welcome. Thank you so much. Susie, you make it your business, literally, to see what's going on and to help people interpret trends So I'm curious, uh, what's standing out to you now that we're closing the door on 2020 and you're looking into this to this next period? Uh, I would guess it's not business as usual. Uh, Are there any trajectories that are really uh, changing or things that are coming up? Is there anything left that can surprise you that you say, I'll be darned. I didn't see that one coming. What what happened in 2020 with the pandemic is it it upended who the normal parents are of trends, who causes the birth of trends. It upended who the parents are. That's what happened when the pandemic hit. So suddenly the pandemic, so suddenly COVID-19 and the recession became the two leading parents that would cause trends to occur. So it, and it shut down other parents that normally would be on the playground causing trends to occur. So in 2021, we've still got those two primary parents. We've got COVID-19 as a parent and the recession as a parent. Um, And so what we're having to do last year and this year is look at trends, birth patterns a completely different way. Like, how are they going to be born? Who are the parents going to be? What is that going to look like? Um, So that's what's happened last year. And that's what happened this year. And that's why um, the report that we wrote this year for for trends for 2021 is a fascinating report because it's completely changed who gets to be the parent of trends and who's birthing it. 
And I, I can give you some examples if that's helpful. Yeah, no, it would be helpful. And I want to come back to this whole metaphor. Um, I'm still still thinking about you're using the term parents of trends. Uh, I, I like that. Um, I don't really think of it that way. Parents of trends uh, are certainly different than um, than we haven't had the, that same set of parents. We've had recessions before, certainly, and other kind of other kinds of crises, but uh, not combined with a pandemic. Yeah, anything you could expand on? I guess the this metaphor of the of the parents and what are some examples you've got? That'd be great to hear. Yeah. So, for instance, um, pre COVID nineteen and the recession, your norm normal set of parents would be things like travel and travel trends. So that would be a courier birth. So for instance, uh, uh, there's also different, not only are there parents, which is weird to think about, but there are different ways trends are born. So for instance, travel itself is a parent. So for instance, let's say, you know, one year Americans are all hot on going to certain parts of Europe or the Middle East or wherever they're going. They then come back to the United States and desire that food. So that's so it's called a courier birth because let's say the when the Arctic region was hot suddenly we had Arctic Nordic food in the United States as a trend a few years back it was caused by travel travel was the parent um, politics can normally actually be a parent as well natural disasters can be a parent so if there's a you know tsunami in Indonesia suddenly we're all interested in Indonesian food for a short amount of time. Clinical health research. So that's the rise of like, um, you know, plant protein and, you know, just high protein in general was never a food industry trend. It was actually a diet industry trend that moved into the food industry. Um, economic health. So again, recession versus economic health, a healthy, that also is apparent. So what happened was those are, those are all gone. <laughs> the new parents are COVID-19 itself is apparent because what it's causing is causing physical and psychological fear, which then upends the drivers that consumers are following for what kind of food do they want? Are they going out? Are they not going out? Are they traveling? Are they not traveling? Uh, the recession also acts as a parent. And unfortunately, right now, political unrest itself is apparent, and that will upend things. Um, and that started last year, but now it's going strong this year. So for instance, I'll give you a quick example as a parent. Let's say like I said, travel is apparent. Okay, so before all of this occurred, um, like I said, you might we might be going to certain parts of Europe, and then suddenly we're eating, you know, certain regional Italian cuisine, for example. But now travel is acting as a different parent. So now nobody, you know, not many people are traveling. If you do go anywhere, it's things like hiking, camping. Um, you might be going, if you have the money, you might be going to islands. It's kind of solitude, safety are the primary drivers for travel. Um, also, we have to look at the first locations Americans are even allowed to travel to, right? So many countries we're not allowed to travel to right now because of the pandemic. So it completely upends how travel is going to affect, as a parent, what foods then we are going to be desiring because of travel as a parent. Um, you also have things like, the other thing that's apparent for this year, picture we all went into quarantine last year, right? Well, that means all the trends parents also went into quarantine. So any trends that were predicted for 2020 kind of got stopped in their tracks because the parents also had to go into quarantine. So what we're saying is for this year, a good starting point for a food company, for example, and what we're seeing is 
relook at what was supposed to be in 2020. So, and things and recent trends we we were hot on at the end of 2019, like ceviche, hummus, ramen, avocado toast, another toast, poke, mocktails, all day breakfast, sourdough bread. All of those right now are kind of coming back. Why? Because there are no other parents. We have to kind of go backwards a year to kind of revisit trends we already, you know, were accustomed to because there there isn't anything uh, significant birthing something brand new out of the box. Well, that's really interesting. So you basically then were uh, could go back and say many of the things that we assumed we were going into because we had an extraordinary year. Uh, the gestation period for this birth was twice as long. You know, I don't know what a gestation normally is for the birth from these parents, uh, idea parents that you're describing, but it's more than twice as long. And and so now you can kind of go and say that that many of those are going to be showing up before this year is over. Is that right? Um, yes. And, and there's other things that are coming forward, like the crisis itself, like the recession and COVID-19 and the political unrest, that itself is causing, that's where new births are coming for this year. So for an example, uh, one of the trends for 2021 that's lovely is generational recipes are cooking. So what's happening because of the recession or COVID is you are, you're getting multi-generational families because people are losing their jobs, right? So you're either moving back in with mom or grandma moving back in with you or the col- the kid is not going to college. He's doing remote college. So you've, you're getting these multi-generational homes, which is causing generational recipes to be shown on the internet, to be shown in certain restaurants that are up and running. Um, so what did grandma cook and what country did she come from? These, and then because you're in home, the younger generation is learning from the older generation. Oh my gosh, what are these delicious foods you're making now that you're staying with us because of the pandemic? So generational recipes. Another fun one is peasant cooking. So again, with the recession, people at work, peasant cooking, it could be, it's a cluster. It could be coming, it could be French coming from French. So it could be ratatouille, which is cheap. It's approachable. It's long cooking times, but it's savory and delicious, but very easy to make. It could be it could be peasant food from our own country, right? So it could be peasant food from the coast, some very simple, delicious seafood stews, particular to you know a certain region. But basically, peasant foods, and it could be coming from Mexico anywhere. Peasant foods are are inexpensive. They feed a lot of people, they're approachable, they use local ingredients. So peasant foods are very, uh, another lovely kind of cluster trend. Um, Black Lives Matter, we're seeing a whole bunch of uh, like regional African cuisine. We're seeing Gullah cuisine coming in from the deep South because of that political um, spotlight. And then if you look at politics, I absolutely expect low country Georgian cooking to come forward and absolutely expect to focus on Texan food, especially barbecue, et cetera, because of the political unrest in those two states that was caused, especially this year. And, and again, look at Texas with, you know, unfortunately, they went through the blackout with with the snowstorm, the ice storm. So there's going to be a food focus coming from those two states in particular. 
Well, you know, you bring up politics, which I wasn't going to bring up politics directly, but but there's tendency. Right, I yeah. know, I know, but <laughs> I can't help it I'm, because one thing when you talk about these regional foods, mm-hmm. there has been some talk of some areas of of. of um, having a negative effect on on Chinese food with so much talk about concerns with China and so forth. Mm -hmm. And and I I know I've been seeing uh, restaurants that are Asian-themed restaurants that believe that their business has been hurt beyond just the shutdown of pandemic because they still were open Mm -hmm. for carryout because Mm -hmm. there is a a certain group. Some people are pushing back against – Chinese food and and more broadly Asian. Uh, do you see any of that? Yeah. What what's what's heartbreaking, and this actually during crisis, this also ha- affects health trends. So what can happen is certain food food groups, food items, or cuisines can be villainized. So that's what you're talking about. You're kind of talking about Chinese food, you know, kind of being villainized during this time because of politics. But because of COVID-19 itself, so not so with COVID-19 itself, we also see, and the recession, we also can see a kind of an over-focus or villainization of single foods. So for instance, when we went through gluten-free back at the end, you know, 2012, et cetera, that gluten was suddenly villainized. So breads and grains were villainized. And so when you're in a crisis situation, what consumers can unfortunately do is they can kind of over-focus on something for the good or for the bad, right? They suddenly hate gluten. They suddenly hate Chinese food for whatever the reason is. And the reason they do that is because it's shockingly because it's calming (laughs) to overfocus because you feel like you're in control of something in your life. Everything else is out of control, but I can control not eating gluten. I can control avoiding Chinese food. So it gives you a sense of control, but it's, it's a dangerous trend when it occurs uh, but we see it in, in like diet trends. This all, this happens usually during a crisis, like a recession. Plus, we have COVID nineteen. But what you're talking about is the same pattern. Is it's just Chinese food is being villainized because it makes you feel in control, which is kind of a calming effect during a stressful situation. Well, does the fact that people have been doing so much more uh, carry out and delivery does that have any impact on trends? Yes, it does. In fact, we cover this in the report extensively. Um, so, you know, it's oddly the biggest danger of that is is that because of the social distancing that's so necessary right now, you know, it's absolutely necessary. Um, we have something in the reports that are called navigation tables, and they they talk about these parental trends. But one of them is focuses on this. So. Even though, yes, we have to socially distance because of COVID-19. And so by that, the behavior is, you know, restaurant is uptick with, you know, e-commerce is ticking up, touchless technology, drive-throughs, curbside, you know, pickup. But what it does is it's causing an erosion of consumer loyalty. Because if you don't get to go into the restaurants, let's say, you kind of lose touch with the human element of a company. And, and this could be also with retail, right? If, so if you're not going to the grocery store and hunting your little brands down that you know and love, you have to look for them online. It, it's causing an erosion of consumer loyalty. So that's a danger for a company, any company, whether it's a restaurant or not, because uh, if they 
physically don't have any interaction, there's no human element to you and the brand, it's much easier to abandon that brand, right? Go. The other problem with this whole thing with drive-throughs and you know doing e-commerce is that the number one driver right now is budget. It is not food. Meaning, if I'm going to go out to a restaurant, I'm not picking my favorite restaurant or the food I want. My first decision is where can I afford to go where I can feed a family of four? Because somebody in my family lost their job. So first, the criteria is budget. Or if I'm going to the grocery store, I have to feed a family of four, plus grandma moved in, what's on the shelf in the grocery store where I can feed all these people. So budget's number one. Safety's number two. Do they have a drive-through or don't they? Oh, they don't have a drive-through. They don't have curbside. So I can't even go to that restaurant anyways. Let's start looking at the other restaurants. The third criteria, then you back into food. Okay. So once I feel safe, I can safely go somewhere and I can afford that food. Now I'm going to pick the food. So it's reversed what the priority is. So drive-throughs and everything else are, um, they're at an advantage, right? Because you can, you can go through, obviously, and get food. But, but budget is still the primary driver right now. Not And then second is, okay, now where can I go safely, where I can go pick some up? But, but on top of overarching everything is you've got, a, you've got a consumer loyalty that's being degraded because you're not open. You don't have a drive-through. I went to the store. The product wasn't on the shelf, so I had to pick something else. Or maybe I just can't afford you. I have to trade down. So everybody right now is also trading down. So if they love fast casual, maybe they have to go to QSR. Um, if they can't even afford that, they're cooking as simply as possible at home instead. So there's a trade down effect because of the recession and COVID. And on top of this, even pe- research has shown even people who have money, like they're not fired, they have their job, they're behaving like they're being affected by the recession. So they're not spending either. They're emotionally shut down for fear that someone in the house will lose the job. So right now, 57% of the population in the U.S. feels that someone in the house could lose their job in the next 12 months. So they're behaving like they already have lost the job. Wow. Boy, those are interesting. We should go back and explain to somebody that doesn't know what QSR is. All right. Yes. Quick serve restaurants. So that's fast food. So your McDonald's, Taco Bells, et cetera. Um, and the, the other thing I just wanted to point out was. Well, you were oh. saying that they go to quick serve, yes. but they're yes. coming from fast casual. So someplace that'd be like Chili's yes. or somewhere like that. Um, instead might be driving through Arby's. So the, that's the trade down. The other. Okay. I remember what I was. So often you'll hear people say, this is the new normal. Everyone's going to shop e-commerce. Everyone's now going to just do drive-throughs. But that's absolutely not true at all. This is not the new normal. There is no new normal. And I say that because the reason we're shopping using e-commerce or the reason we're going through drive-throughs is because we're in a pandemic. We, were, we didn't evolve over several years to like, oh, we're going to shop e-commerce. We were forced into it in a one-month time period last March when we suddenly were in a pandemic, right? We, were, we had no choice. So research after research with consumers say, we don't want to shop e-commerce. We want to go to the store. We don't want to just do drive through We want to go sit down at our restaurant that we know, love, and trust. That's what we want to do. So when this 
starts resolving, people are going, they're going to abandon e-commerce to an extent. They're going to abandon drive-throughs to an extent because they don't want it in the first place. They were forced into that behavior artificially. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it, it also, going back to something else you said, too, and that is the effect on brand loyalty, mm-hmm. because it would seem to me to marketers, they got to pay a lot of attention as they start having the snapback, because they want to yes. win people back, and they got to come back and have people just be in love with, oh, my God, I'm back at my favorite restaurant, or I'm back at my favorite store, and, and, yes. and that experience it always is important that they have a good experience, but maybe after this long absence of they've been gone for 12 months, uh, it's even more important that they don't screw up, that they're getting that, getting that right and making people feel especially happy to be back in the restaurant or back in the store again. Well, there's the opposite effect too, which is fascinating. So there are some either restaurants or brands that have gotten new consumers because of this, right? They were on the shelf every month. So they gained consumers because they didn't have outages, right? Or it is a restaurant that that did quickly put in curbside. So they got, they stole some clients from other restaurants, right? Though that situation, now you have to figure out how to keep them from going back to the original restaurants or brands that that consumer came from. Do you know what I mean? So one, it's trying to win your clients back. But two, if you were lucky enough to steal some clients or steal some, you have to hang on to them. So how are you going to hang on to them when this calms down? Why why won't they just go back to the brand they love? Do you, so there's two ways to look at it. So so with re, whether it's restaurant or retail, what I say is if you've had an uptick in co- consumers, clients, consumers to your brand, you better figure out why. Did they trade down to you because you were, you know, you were more available? They felt you were an ally, whatever the reason was. You have to figure out how to keep them. Or was it, you know, was it something else? Did they come to you for a different reason? And you also better figure out in the mix. If you lost clients, who did you lose and why did you lose them? Because that you have to know that before you can figure out how to kind of get them back. Well, one thing that people that listen to this podcast have a lot of interest in is the farm-to-table movement. And mm-hmm. there are restaurants and, and certainly all kinds of stores that were identifying the um, where, where the food was grown and how it was grown and what kind of production systems were in place. Will that um, go back to the uh, energy level that it had pre-pandemic? Um, I, and I say that, and I have to also jump in and say that farmers became competitors in there too, because around a lot of area, people are going directly to farms instead uh, in the pandemic. So some farmers actually were able to make lemonade out of those lemons too. Yes. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so that driver is still here. So the driver of um, it, it empowers me. A, you know, a consumer to be able to understand where's the food coming from, who grew the food, is it local? Um, you know, how do I know it's safe? Those are all very strong drivers. Even if a pandemic wasn't here, a recession just causes those drivers to uptick um, because, again, it gives me a sense of control 
to be able to understand and, and have that type of knowledge. So knowledge is very powerful because it calms fears. Um, but there's another element of sustainability, which, you know, again, can go along with buying straight from the farm or knowing where it comes from. Um, unfortunately, with sustainability, the driver is very strong. In fact, COVID-19 has made the driver of sustainability even stronger, right? But the recession reverses the driver being enacted. So every time we go into just the recession, they say they want sustainability all day long in survey work, but they actually won't pay for it. So what they really want is they want no cost sustainability because the sustainability fulfills the driver. So whether it's organic or fair trade or local or whatever your, you know, the packaging is recycled, whatever the sustainable element is, but they're not going to pay for it. They're too panicked. They, they can't even feed their family. They're not going to worry about if something's organic. They're certainly not going to pay for it. So they desire it. They will not take it out of their budget right now. So we always see sustainability numbers drop during a recession. COVID-19, the desire is up. Recession kills the budget. It, so it, it prevents them from actually partaking in it to the level they would want. Um, so basically, if there's a no-cost sustainable piece of whether it's something from a restaurant or something you know, you're buying in the grocery store, you need to say that out loud for that product or for that restaurant. If it doesn't cost the consumer anything, that will be a huge, that's a huge driver for them to partake in your brand is because it makes them feel calm and controlled, but it won't cost them anything. There's going to, on top of that, there's going to be a hangover effect where consumers are not at all going to trust running right back out to restaurants or running right back out to the grocery store. So there's a lag effect on top of herd immunity that we have to get past. Uh, 8% of the population say they're going to stockpile for the rest of their lives. And that actually might be true because if you look at what happened to like World War I generation or the generation that also came through the Great Depression, those generations stockpiled the entire rest of their life. Well, what a fascinating fascinating time right now uh, you know and and i want to swing back to this um like the, the farm to table sort of thing again because yeah. you know people are trying the farmers at least are trying to get the word out and i guess one thing that i take away from what you're saying so far is that there's going to be such a challenge for marketers whether in stores or the restaurants to to win people back in as they start coming coming back to business again that they can't desert that trend. I, I get it what you're saying that price and cost are, are really important, but it seems like the pressure is going to be on for these marketers of food products or, or restaurants themselves and stores to, to just do everything they've been doing and do it better. And if it, if they can get more information about how the food is produced and still be able to, you know, offer it at a reasonable price to people, um, they almost can't afford not to do it. Yeah. So, so actually it's interesting. So the, whether it's a restaurant or whether it's retail, the, the thing that consumers are looking for right now, and certainly through the next year is so many marketers are focused on empathy in their marketing, right? Oh, I know what you're going through. This is a hard time, et cetera, which consumers like that. They're fine with that. But what consumers really want 
is they want you to tell them what the heck are you going to do to make them the hero in their own lives. So you as a company, you as a restaurant, you are not the hero in the consumer's lives. They are the hero. The consumers are hero of their own life. You are the guide. So the company, whether it's restaurant or retail, you are Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the consumer is Luke Skywalker. So what you're doing as a brand with your marketing is, yes, you're empathizing, but you're also telling them, here's how I'm going to make you the hero in your own life. By So the consumers are looking for allies around budget. Can you help me feed my whole family? I would consider you an ally. Can you tell me a little bit about where this product came from? Is there a story behind it? Um, did it come from a regional cuisine somewhere in the world that I could be educated? You could tell me more about that. So stories are beh behind the product are important to make me feel aligned with you. Like I would increase loyalty and trust to you as a company or a brand. Um, you know, can I, can I get you easily and consistently? So whether it's a restaurant or something in retail, that helps me too, because I only have to make one trip through the restaurant or one trip to the grocery store to get that product, because I know it'll be there every time on the shelf. That also makes me the hero in my own world. So what you're doing as a company, restaurant or retail, is the consumer must feel by buying your brand or going to your restaurant, they fed their family. They've done it safely. They've done it affordably. It's some, you know, the food is delicious and it's from a regional part of the world that I can talk about. And I learned that makes me the hero in my own life. That's what marketers have to focus on. Is there Obi-Wan Kenobi? The consumer is Luke Skywalker. You have to be the guide to make them come through all of this successfully and be the hero to their family. Do you think that climate change is going to be a motivator that uh, because there's an awful lot right now of food products that are identified that they're they're greener they're you know they're talking about their environmental improvement but it's kind of a reach for them to be able to make the connection with impacting the climate and yet I would suspect there's so many people that are fans of 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 Greta you know that has that are looking to be, is that a way that they can become a hero to, to see food products that they think are particularly climate friendly? Yes, absolutely. And COVID is, is the primary parent on having those kind of sustainability drivers be very, very strong. But what they're looking at is what consumers are thinking will help the planet. I know there's a lot of focus on plant protein. Oddly, they're not buying plant protein. They're not buying the faux burgers. What they're actually buying is more meat, <laughs> a ton more meat and more seafood. What they're looking at, though, to, to quote, help the climate, um, is simpler eating. Not as processed. Um, I can read the ingredient deck, and there's only five things, not 32. So simpler ingredient decks, less processing. You know, maybe can I get it local? So it's, it's, a, it's because, again, because we're in a stressful time to think about sustainability and, and saving the planet right now in a stress, you have to simplify it. It has to be incredibly simple messaging and incredibly simple products that I, in 10 seconds, as a consumer, understand how buying this product is helping the planet. More than 10 seconds, you've lost me, especially right now. So yes, there's absolutely a drive for um, sustainability, et cetera. One, I'm not going to pay anything else for it, especially right now during this catastrophe. Um, and two, it, it, it has to be, a, I have to understand it very simply. Well, how is this going? How is this product, food product going to help the planet? Mm -hmm. 
So it's the, the driver, like I said, the driver's there, but with stress, it's got to be simpler and, and I'm not going to pay anything extra for it right now. Eventually I will, but not right now, not during the crisis. You know, I can see how your insights can be really helpful to a company and they're helpful to me. I enjoyed this conversation and you've given me a, a lot to think about, but you're in the business to actually provide services. And so for people that want to get your report or companies that like to get in contact with you to be able to uh, either get your services, or get your reports and so forth, how do they find that information? culinaryties.com is is the easiest way to get a hold of us and then of course we're on twitter and all the social media channels also just simply under culinaryties.com well susie is really interesting and and you've given me a lot to think about like i mentioned mentioned earlier uh and, and one of the things i'm playing through my head is that this kind of suspended sort of period that we're in right now is as you know covid and recession doesn't doesn't end quickly, um, but the com competition that's going to be to be able to succeed coming out of it all, and and uh, people have to double down with their businesses and and just do a better job. And then the other thing I'm listening into here uh, as as we discuss this is like the, the farm to table movement. I mean, those that are trying to tell their story about sustainability to produce. Um, products in a certain way and communicate it all the way through the various channels. It sounds like this is not the time to let up on that because it's the there's there's a lot to overcome yet, and if people are doing those things and doing the you know that and have a story to tell, they're going to have to tell it you know better than ever because we're not out of the woods yet. No, and there's one more one more. Uh, really important piece of advice, I think, too, is one thing that happens every single time we go into a stressful period, like a recession, we have COVID-19 on top of it, but even a recession, there's three, three terms that consumers immediately start distrusting. It's functional, natural, and sustainable. They will immediately become suspicious, and they are right now suspicious of those three terms, functional, natural, sustainable. It's not that they don't want them, they do. They basically are buying from companies who they think are lying the least to them. And the reason they suddenly distrust those three terms every time is because they're not very well defined. So the good news is it's, very, it's quite easy to overcome that distrust with the consumer. All you have to do is finish the sentence. So let's say you have a sustainable product. Don't say it's sustainable. First of all, that they'll be like, I don't even know if I believe you. Just say you have to finish the sentence, meaning it's sustainable because it's organically grown. It's sustainable because the packaging it comes in is recyclable. It's sustainable because this is fair trade. So finish the sentence. Do you know what I mean? That will overcome the distrust. Same with natural. Why is it natural? Oh, it's natural because, well, you know, whatever it is, it was grown locally. It's, you know, unprocessed, et cetera. Just finish the sentence and that will help overcome the distrust. But distrust does go up for those three terms in particular because they're not usually well-defined. Boy, those are good points too, and and as you point that out, I can I can think of other companies that are they're starting to do that and trying to add a little bit more explanation. We've tried some deliveries of products, so they send you boxes full of some meal that you can make each week, 
mm-hmm. and they have instructions on the outside. It looks like for the first thing you think of when you get the box is that, my goodness, this can't be sustainable because look at all of the, um, you know, the plastic in it and the, mm-hmm. the ice and the package. And then it says on the top of the box that, that they purchase carbon set-asides. Well, I can't be the only person that doesn't know for sure what that means, but I'm somewhat reassured, you know, and, Yes, no, and that's that's a big hilarious point of when people are saying, "Oh, this is a new normal. We're going to do e-commerce and meal kits." Like, no, we're absolutely not because a lot of it goes against sustainability. Think of all the packaging that's coming to people's homes, the wrapping, the bubble wrap, the what that is not sustainable. And consumers know that that is not they don't want these boxes constantly coming to their house because of you know, they've ordered things through e-commerce. They would rather go into the store, pick up the head of lettuce, you know, put it into their basket, not have this stuff shipped. So so the whole idea of e-commerce kind of goes directly against the sustainable movement because of all the packaging material, it, whether it's degradable or not, it still produces a ton of packaging materials. You now as a consumer have to do something with, you have to get rid of it somehow. Um, so that's another reason why when people are like, it's going to be e-commerce forever. I'm like, it's not going to be, <laughs> they want to go back to the store and get rid of all this packaging that's coming to their house. Well, I, I tell you, there's just so many areas like that, that I think that people are kind of afraid of answering, asking the stupid question, because when we start getting into carbon and areas like, well, we could get into the, the microbial life and there's just so mm-hmm. much people don't understand and they don't necessarily know how they can get the answers to those questions. But I think this is another good contribution you've made, though, is, com- is finish the sentence. Rather than throw out those little phrases like claiming that, uh, you know, that you're sustainable, how? You know, it can't be that much to add to, to finish the sentence and add seven or eight or nine more words that it's much more believable. Well, well, Susie, thank you. I tell you, you've got a lot for us to soak on and appreciate your sharing this. And I hope you'll come back and join me on Farm to Table Talk again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 